Yokozo, eh, hola. Uh, welcome to Sustain. Sustain, the podcast where we talk about sustaining open source for the long haul. Who are we? Where did we come from? Where are we going? Do we have any more work to do? Very excited today about our guest. We've had this guest on the podcast before, but that was only a small episode coming out of Foss backstage. So today we re-invited them on in order to talk at length. Now, before I give away who we have as a guest, I want to make sure you know who the other panelists are. I'm, of course, Richard Litauer. Hi, everyone. And we also have Justin Dorfman on today. Justin, how are you doing? I can't get my voice that high, but hi, everyone. I'm doing good. How are you, Richard? I'm good. I have an incredible vocal range. Thank you so much for being here. Ana Jimenez Santa Maria. Ana Jimenez is Awesome. She is the Ospo program manager. That's open source program manager, program manager at ToDo at LF. Anna, how are you? Hi, thank you so much. Doing fine and I love the welcoming in Japanese, by the way. <laughs> yeah. For those of you who don't know, Anna moonlights as a really awesome person in a band doing covers of Japanese pop songs. And it's probably going to be the most interesting thing about this podcast. So go check that out and just stop listening now. When you first told me about it, I was like, what are you talking about? And then when I saw it, I was like, whoa, she can wail. You know, I was just like, holy wow. I was impressed. That is my small little secret. Yeah. Uh, it was for a time. Yeah. Yeah. Just shh, no one can know about this. Note the phrase in her spare time. You do not have a lot of spare time because you work incredibly hard helping out the open source ecosystem on behalf of Todo. I want to get to the bottom of what that work is and what it entails. Before we talk about your current work, though, you wouldn't have gotten to where you are without your past. And so I want to know, how did you get into open source? What happened? So that was around five years ago and say now. So I got into open source thanks to my previous, my former company that was Abitergia. I don't know if you have heard about for those who doesn't. It's a company 100% open source that focuses on software development analytics. And there are also in a lot of great open source communities, chaos in our source commons. They also integrate in the Tudor community as well. And they were my mentors. My background was marketing at the very beginning. I did a huge transition then into data science. That is my master. They opened the doors to me to open source and teach me. I remember like the first time, my first day at work, they say, let's learn Git. So it was like, oh yeah, that's awesome. Tell that to a marketing person. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, I got in love with open source. I think the open source communities were like the most exciting part in there. I got the chance to transition more also into that role stuff. And then is when I also get a lot of engagement in OSPO. We were talking with a lot of OSPO leaders and of OSPO people and from the Tudor group as well. And then is when I moved to LF to help in the Tudor community and help them nurture the ecosystem, the community, and help more people to feel welcome in there. Awesome. That's a really cool career. I really like the start of it. Biturja is amazing. For those of you who don't know, Georg Link is one of the people who works there. And Georg is an exceptional human. I'm bringing this up because Georg is the main host. There are other hosts, but he seems to be the organizing one, although he wouldn't like me saying that. So sorry, Georg, for outing you that way at podcast.chaos.community, which is another podcast within the Sustain podcast family. We help fund them through our Sustain grant, which is given to us by 
Ford and Sloan. So thank you so much for that work. And I just want to say, go listen to that if you want to hear about community stuff. Now that's a lot about community stuff. So sorry for derailing briefly. Just want to give credit where credit is due. I want to know more about how to-do group functions. So it's been going on for a while. You weren't the first person there, but I think you may have been the first person to help out in the professional PM thing with it. Can you tell me about the history of the to-do group and the context within the greater Linux Foundation ecosystem? Yeah, so it's been there like 12 years around. Like it started a long time ago. And the story was that it started mostly based in from Silicon Valley enterprises and companies, because at that time is where OSPOs were mostly at. You were asking other people outside that ecosystem. There was actually anything similar to that, but that was long, long time ago and started to grow. And now it's expanding across regions. Even though Tudu was from private companies, I know like there is some movement and other OSPO company, OSPO communities in other sectors like public sectors, government, and so on, uh, academics as well. So eventually it started to grow and we decided that it was time to grow as well and to move forward and not stay in the past. So one of the main reasons I started as the Judo program manager and start the community was to try to bring these collaborations across communities and also to ease more people to let them know, hey, Judo group is here and it's an open community for everyone across regions. And for instance, I'm from Spain, Madrid, like I'm not even from the States. I don't have like the States culture. And in Europe, there are great open source organizations that are starting its journey to OSPO. So try to build resources and keep helping organizations in their OSPO adoptions and OSPO learning across regions and try to build bridges across all these OSPOs and try to bring them together and connect and build better things together. Awesome. I love that. Thank you for the context. I didn't realize that Tudu Group had been going on for 12 years. Yeah, uh, it's a lot. It's a long yeah, time. I think it was started by Chris Anishek when he was at Twitter. I mean, I've been part of the group for a while. I haven't been really active, but I always see what's going on from day to day. And I just got to say, you know, like the transformation that you've made is wow. I'm not just saying that just to say it because you're on the guest. I'm just so impressed, like how welcoming and you made it and how informative all the guys, all the mind maps, like it's just. It's so great, especially when I'm finally starting as a program manager myself. It's just been such great resources. So I just got to give you props there. Thank you so much. We really appreciate that. Seriously. I also want to give you props. The amount of work that you put in is fantastic. I do feel like I need to say something else. Now, I'm not going to hit you with really tough questions. There are tough questions, which I could ask about the Linux Foundation. Astute listeners may know this. For instance, Linux Foundation moving to Switzerland. Why is that happening? What's it like with connections with China? How does Linux Foundation deal with the DOD? How does it justify its massive budget? These are all awful questions that is unfair to ask to you because you work as a PM for the to-do group, which is a group of people to try to figure out how do we have OSPOs work? And if I were to ask those questions, I'm totally biased. For those of you who know, I help set up OSPO++. Also, Plus Plus is one of the other communities dedicated towards like working with open source program offices in university cities and governments. There's also Ospo Zone, which is really cool by Eclipse. 
people like Gail and Aster. So I really appreciate that work. And I want to come back to something you said, which is how can we collaborate better? And so instead of focusing on those tough questions with you, I'm not going to do that. What I want to do instead is focus on the work that you're actually doing to connect things. And Justin mentioned mind maps, which is super, super fun. So I want to talk about the resources that you're providing for people, including, say, academia, governments, nonprofits. You do so much work that it's like it's expansive beyond what to do originally meant to be, which is kind of like the who's who of Silicon Valley talking to each other about how to do open source stuff. So can you tell me about maybe like the Ospo map project that you have going on and how that works? Yeah, so that is a funny story. Everything started because I really wanted to have an overview of what an OSPO looked like. So I started to take information from Twitter resources and also from other open source community resources that were talking about OSPOs, put it all together and created like the first draft version of that mind map. And I eventually saw it on social media and people went crazy. And the community was like, we need that in a public sphere where the community can give input and can collaborate together. So I was like, okay, that was like a fun pet project I was doing for my personal use, but I really would love to have that being useful for the broader community. So we decided to make that open in a public repo under GitHub to do organization that it's open source, of course. And we develop nice mind map that maps the responsibilities of the OSPO, the sites, the behaviors, and the roles. And the good thing of that is that we recently launched the second version of this mind map, and that has a lot of community contributions for the community and other OSPOs that were given input of these are all the different responsibilities you can find or an OSPO can be taken care of. Maybe an OSPO might be just focusing on two or three, or maybe there are other OSPOs that might be covering them all. But it's a way for people that are starting in their OSPO journey to kind of understand these are the different tasks that maybe I should be focusing on, or maybe say, I'm going to put my efforts on this specific topic, because that is like really matched with my organization's goals, for instance. And well, we're still waiting for new contributors because this is an open collaborative project. And we really want to have this, not only from the Tudor community, but for other communities to help out and keep defining. There are, for instance, we, I would love to see, like there are a lot of training courses around the different responsibilities, like for instance, open source licensing and compliance, open source security. There are so many training courses and a really important thing for a lot of OSPOs is training and how to career OSPO leader paths or OSPO career path. And having that into a single way where, oh, I want my developers or I want my team to know about how to build secure software. Here are the list of different training courses across the open source communities that they can take a look at. That will be awesome. I love this mind map. It's super cool. You can find it at ospomindmap.todogroup.org. Is that the most recent version? On yeah. It? So if you look at it, it's literally one of those mind maps. That's, you know, back in the day where it starts with one, and then there's nodes which branch out. You can click on all nodes and it tells you more things. This is super useful. 
I guess my main question to you, Anna, is I had a lot of difficulty understanding the needs of an OSPO because I'm not in one. I worked with OSPOs. I functioned as an OSPO before in different companies through part of my consultancy work. I've definitely talked to hundreds of people working in OSPOs, but I always find it difficult to figure out like what people actually do. For instance, I was surprised when multiple people told me that the majority of the work is licensed compliance, like the majority of the work. And so I'm just curious, how do you manage to deal with that of like, you're the PM, but you also are trying to serve a need for people who it isn't your need. Like you just seem really good at that. Do you have any tricks that I could borrow? So what you said about compliance, it's really funny because we also build like some kind of model, like maturity states to help also organizations, like as a framework to help uh, OSPOs to understand like what are the different steps to go through the OSPO journey. And the first layer usually is the legal driven side. So it's, I first need to secure my software. I first need to make sure the legal team understands so we can start to build things. So that's why everything is about compliance because until that layer is not covered from the corporate view, at least, the organization cannot move forward. You cannot start to build like an open source culture within the organizations and the employees are not going to understand the real value of open source and thus starts engaging in open source communities. So I think that's good advice, I will say. The mind map can work to also to see like the different roles an OSPO might be taking. You need to have licensing, security, community engagement, and so on. So try to build the mat- a matrix of experts within the organizations that act as a linchpin between the OSPO and the different teams. It's how it's going to enhance this communication, because if there is no communication, the OSP is working on one side, the organization is working on the other side, there are not common goals, and the OSP is not going to succeed most of the time. So try to see all the different roles and try to bring this community of experts also within the OSP to try to collaborate together and from there identify what are the different responsibilities we should be taking care of based on the specific barriers we have as an organization, maybe from the industry specific or maybe on the economic barriers we're facing and from there start building like a Tetrix. Yeah, I totally hear that. I like the roles. The role scares me because it almost implies that you need to have one person for each of these things. And most OSPOs is like one person. So that's obviously not the case. Yeah, so there are virtual OSPOs as well. Like, for instance, it's not the same if you're talking with a big corp than with a small corporation or organizations. Those maybe have one dedicated person, but they try to have this, okay, so from the marketing team, that is the person I'm going to be talking to. And that is going to be the ambassador, let's say, that tries to communicate or the devil that tries to communicate the teams, what the Teams is a way of working to what the OSPO wants and try to add us this linchpin. How can I contribute to this? To the mind map, we have a to the group, we have a report that is Ospology. It's more like a beginner journey for all everyone that wants to learn about open source program offices. So it's not only about the mind map, we have like global community map meetings. We also have the OSPO model. We have a newsletter and everything is under collaboration. Like we built, the community builds the newsletter and so on. 
by the way, I'll be opening up a pull request after this. Me too. I'm looking at the roles and I'm like, there's nothing in here about pitching up and political management at your organization to make sure that you're able to get funding. There's nothing in here about grants. There's nothing in here about DevRel specifically as a role to step in the community engagement or partner coordinator is like a super big one, right? Someone who works with industry or with universities to make sure that those connections and collaborations work. But that's okay. I mean, maybe they're in other roles and I'm just missing something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say like, that is exactly what I want. Like, have people saying, hey, you need to add this because that is what makes the OSPO mind map like growing. There's no web developer in here to make the OSPO website. So someone's got to do that. Yeah, my PR is going to be more self-serving. It's to add a link to the newsletter. Sorry. <laughs> I'll challenge well, you honest about it. Yeah. yeah, hey, like, uh, no, but the mind map is awesome because I've used mind maps like way back in the day, like I'm talking like early 2010s and there was no real way to like make it open source. So the fact that this one works, is it Markdown or is it like YAML? Yeah, it's Markdown. It, Markdown. Uh, yeah, so it's come from actually a developer that used all the tooling that is called MarkMap. So you add it into Markdown file and then it renders into HTML. That's brilliant. Back then, I would never have thought, because I was always like, oh, it'd be cool if we can do like, you know, with my team, we can do, you know, a mind map that can be contributed by multiple people. But back in the day, that wasn't possible. Now it is. So good looking out on that. Yeah. And actually, it wasn't my idea. Like some of the to-do community people said that, like, have you ever heard about this tooling? And I was like, what is this? And that was amazing. And I know now that even other people saw the mind map and say, I love the tooling. I'm going to start using it for other purposes. Amen. So this is really cool. And what's interesting to me is that you're all about collaboration, which is the best. Now you have something coming up where you're encouraging people to collaborate more. Can you tell me more about the Ospo workshops you have planned? Yeah. So a few weeks ago, we launched a new framework for in-person Ospo workshops. And those are, will be built in, in Europe first. Main reason because there were a lot of folks in the Tudor community from the European chapter that mentioned, hey, we would love to have that. And traveling within Europe based on the feedback, it's pretty more easy than traveling in other regions. But again, it's not just for European organizations. It's if everyone in the States wants to host, it's more than welcome to do so. The interesting part of this is that we don't want to make it just a to-do initiative. We want to make it a cross-collaborative community effort. And that's why we define a framework like, hey, this is something that you can use to build this in-person OSPO workshops. And we want to have communities that are helping the OSPO movement, maybe because they are focusing on OSPO-specific topics. For instance, OpenSSF for security, open chains for open standards, compliance. And also they're engaging in a lot of OSPOs. They have an OSPO subgroup or chaos for community metrics, community health metrics, and help OSPOs to address performance metrics, for instance. So all these open source communities that has something to say in the OSPO work, and we can have this two-day in-person workshop where organizations that has an OSPO or wants to start the OSPO journey 
And these communities that act as the domain experts gather together and we have worked together and have some kind of input. Like maybe it can go in the shape of a guide, of a new guide, of a white paper, of a study, of a OSPO best practices, but powered with these communities that act as the domain experts. So as I said, all the efforts are already on the way of building the first in-person OSPO workshop happening in Europe. And there are already organizations interested. For that, we have something that we call the OSPO Associates. So those community participants that are coming from entities that are focusing on OSPO-related topics that are helping OSPOs but may not have an OSPO. So that is a way that they can apply for becoming an OSPO Associate. So we can collaborate together, we can align on future initiatives and future working, and we can help the the OSPO community better with collaboration. So I like that a lot, and that's really cool. And it's great to see that you're helping out with associates and not just OSPOs and trying to build a big tent. I'm going to take this a bit somewhere else. So a lot of your work seems to me to be dependent upon a single assumption, which is that OSPOs help open source. It's possible that your work isn't on that assumption, but it's instead saying that OSPOs are helping corporations, but I'm hoping that they're helping open source. And I want to know what you do to ensure that while you build this giant tent, you're not enabling corporations who are inauthentically engaged in open source communities, who are extractive, but instead ensuring that you give tools to the excellent people who work at corporations for various reasons who are doing their best to help the open source community. How do you actively maintain that, that like paradox or dilemma or controversy is a word I'm, I'm failing on, but like, how do you hold that in your mind? So I get to point and OSPOS, I would say the assumption is more for adopt open source faster and the organizations and also in a healthy way. And let me explain that better. If when organizations realize that they're consuming and using open source, because open source now it's everywhere, they start to do open source ad hoc. And that is the problem there. Like you are trying to engage with open source without knowing how to engage with open source communities and how to start giving back to the community. You're just using it and you're not have been the community and the open source community. So that is the real problem. What OSPOs are for is to put a strategy and alignment on top of all the open source efforts and to start building a healthy open source culture within the organizations to actually take real actions and start contributing back to the community. So for me, OSPOs, it's exactly like a way to help organizations being good open source citizens and not just, oh, I need open source. And that is a business for me that is completely wrong assumption. And I usually work with proprietary software. So why not using that as proprietary software? And then everything goes wrong. So OSPUS are there to act as these open source advisors of the organizations to actually let them understand open source, the value of open source, and how to engage with open source in a way that can benefit organizations, but also the open source ecosystems. Because if you have the open source ecosystems, they're going to give back to you as well. So when we talk about giving back, we often phrase it in terms of 
giving back, right? It's, it almost seems philanthropic. Hey, let's take some of our budget and give it back to the maintainers who helped us out so that they can have better security so that we can work better with their products without it crashing. But money isn't the only way to get back to open source. And sometimes the maintainers don't want money in the sense that they don't want to be on the hook for your system failing because you're using their open source project. Just because they put it in the commons doesn't mean that like they're dependent upon maintaining it for whatever large organization. So what I want to ask is, how do we move away from a philanthropic giving back view while not just going to we're going to fund this project so that we have we can use it more better in our mature open source system where we're using your technology. Do you have any ideas how to best engage with communities in a way that isn't just saying, here's some money, be more stable, but actually honors the original intent of the people who are working on those projects? I think the key part of that is to infuse the whole organization of the a good open source understanding and let them understand the value of open source to the employees to actually make them participants of open source and contribute to open source, not only funding the project that, by the way, I think that it's a really good thing. Like, I don't know if you've heard about the latest Spotify FOSS fund. Yeah, we had Peplook on the podcast. And by the time this one will go out, you can go listen to it. So listeners, go listen to Peplook. So that is, for instance, an OSPO effort that I think it's awesome. It's not just about funding like big open source projects like Kubernetes that they really have like great resources already. It's also about these independent projects and to those people that are working to those independent projects. So I think that is great. We shouldn't like delay that side of the OSPO. But I think that the OSPO can also work on what you say, like the other side of given back. And that is through building a community mindset of culture, open source culture mindset within the organizations to actually make them participants, like make them proud of contribute and be excited of contribute because they already understand open source. Was Dwayne involved with those talks with Spotify? Dwayne O'Brien from Indeed, who did the FOSS Contributor Fund Framework? I know that Duane and, and Per are closest folks and also in the Tudor community and talking a lot, but I'm not aware of that. Got it. I think he was involved in the sense of he was around and he wrote the book. I need to re-listen to the podcast with Per Plok, which is again, is coming out by the time this comes out. It's not out yet. It's still on our backlog because we sometimes have that. Awesome. On a weird question, you may not be thinking this for yourself, but I want to know what for to-do group or for Ospology, et cetera. What's your 50-year vision? What's your 100-year vision for how OSPOs interact with the open source community? Do you have one? Yeah, I would like to think that in the near future, organizations are adopting OSPOs more widely because it's a way to build healthy relationships from the organizations to the open source ecosystem. For me, it's the way. It's the way because if you don't have a strategy on top of the open source efforts, if you are just doing open source ad hoc, the organizations might be harming the open source ecosystem. I hear that. And I totally get it. I understand why OSPOs work to stop ad hoc help. They help make it a process. They make it easier. They help pitch up. They help people get invested. Awesome. You just said that's your near-term solution. And I was asking about the long-term one. What I'm wondering is, let's say that every Fortune 500 company has an OSPO. 
and they all donate fifty to $100,000 a year to the open source ecosystem. That's still only somewhere around 5 million, maybe 50 million. But these companies are generating billions of dollars worth of income off of open source. And so I'm curious what the long tail is. Like, what's the long game for how do we invest sustainably in our digital commons, which involves open source? And I don't have an answer for this. I'm just wondering if you've thought about it so far. No, and honestly, that it's a really good question. And I would love to see other people that are listening to us to get feedback and input on that. Like, really. Me too. It's tough. I mean, Pairplugs, for example, the Spotify 100K is awesome. It's great. But it's still going through a process where they're giving to a set amount of them and they have an internal judgment scheme. and It doesn't go to all the dependencies of the dependencies of the dependencies. And at some point, we need to do that if we talk about open source, because everyone who's made an open source product that has a dependency has made a choice there. And sometimes those choices aren't being counted for when we talk about remuneration fiscally. And so I'm really interested in seeing how do we go all the way down the chain and how do we build the entire ecosystem up? And OSPOs are a super important part of the stool or the complex organism or the whatever we want to call open source. But they're just one part. And I want to see how we think about it in 50 years. Yeah, and have one thought right now that you've mentioned that. So OSPOs sometimes aren't seen like, yeah, like a separate team of the organization. Eventually, if they're at some point as these open source advisors, but like the organization takes seriously open source and say, let's see what the open source advisors need to say when we are building the organization's goals. Maybe that is when actually we can go deeper and start building tooling that helps, for instance, like navigate through all the different dependencies and so on. So if OSPOS can go to that top and seen as really high priority for the organizations, maybe we can have this funding of building a new tooling. Awesome. Love that. Another question about long-term sustainability. I'm trying to focus on like, how do we build open source and make it sustainable? Because this is, of course, sustain. What are you doing at Ospology at Todo to ensure that this information isn't just shared with members of the Todo group who don't come from rich, industrialized, educated Western democracies like in Europe and North America? What's going on? How, do, how are you helping out the third world? So if you take a look to the Ospology repo, you will see a bunch of resources. And for instance, we have the networking spaces that we have the global ones that are Ospology. So it's a change for the Ospoers to share their work to the broader community. It doesn't matter where you based because we also like record the meetings, are public, people can watch it, and they share learnings for others to learn. And we also bring open discussions. So I think that it's really important. Like bring this networking spaces. We also have like a specific sync course. We open the Europe sync call and also the APAC sync call for those organizations that say, oh, I want just to take a look, but in my, in a friendly time zone, please. So they have the chance to connect with this specific questions and topics that region has in that point. Like for instance, in the last hour, we had the Europe sync call and we were talking like how was the different stages of an OSPO happening in Europe for organizations in Europe. And because it was kind of different from when you were talking with the states and where you are talking, for instance, in the APAC time zone and so on. 
Where can people join these sync calls? If you go to Dispology, we have all the links there. So there is a good readme file that lists all the different like our missions, uh, the community, and then it's when you can see the global community meetings. It happens monthly. The regional sync calls, and then there is like the artifacts. So we have a newsletter that it's also I think it provides like a cool overview of what's going on in the Ospoverse this month. And that runs monthly. And the great part is that it's built by the community. And actually, we are getting now Japanese contributors translating that into Japanese. We would love to see that also in other languages, not only in English. And same for all the artifacts. Like, oh, the Ospo mind map, it's also being translated into Japanese. There's a fork out there. Yeah. And as I said, everything, it's about trying to collaborate and bring this inclusivity into the community. So translators feel welcome to join also this repo and contribute to the OSPO movement. And, you know, that's why in the beginning of this conversation, I brought up what an amazing job you've been about being inclusive. I think a lot of people like to throw that word around and be like, yeah, we're inclusive for sure. But setting up different time zones and not making it America, Pacific, Central, Eastern time only, also doing the other regions of the world, that's inclusive. And I really applaud you and your efforts for doing that because I know it's not easy working at a remote company with people all over the world. It's very difficult to get everyone in sync. So mad props, more props. Thank you. Anna, we shared a lot of links about where to talk about the do group and where to get involved. So I'm not going to say where can we people do that. Just go to the show notes or go to todogroup.org. But Anna, where can people follow you on the interwebs? So my Twitter is Anna, J-S, Anna, 95. And you also can follow me on LinkedIn, Anna Jimenez Santa Maria. And I usually post stuff daily, mostly, about those posts. Anna, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. However, we are not done. Now is the time of the show where we get to talk about Spotlight. Spotlight is where we talk about other people, other things, other projects that have helped us along the way that we think just need some more light on them. Also, small trinkets or something for the host because we've done too many of these. Justin, what is your spotlight today? I'm going to have to spotlight TypeScript ESLint. It's tooling which enables ESLint to support TypeScript. And I had a chance to work with Josh Goldberg recently. He's a core maintainer and author of Learning TypeScript, published by O'Reilly, which I just got his book in the mail. So Thank you so much, Josh. Really looking forward to reading the book. Awesome. Thank you so much. Mine today is going to be Roy Adorno. Roy is an awesome developer who helped me set up some meetups in Montreal back when I was setting up meetups there. And I just think he's great. He works on node things at Google, proves to NPM and GitHub, and just a wonderful developer who is incredibly kind. So thank you. And obrigado, Roy. Ana Jimenez, what is your spotlight today? So I would like to mention Grimo Lab from the Chaos Project. Grimo Lab has like several tooling. So I would like also to highlight Percival. So for those who want to get data on the different Git, GitHub and other data sources in terms of software development analytics and build up maybe dashboards of the activity, of the open source projects, that it's a great tool to start with. 
Awesome. Excellent. Anika Mendes, thank you so much for coming on. This has been great. And listeners, I hope you've enjoyed this conversation. We've called for your thoughts several times. And so if you're interested in sharing them with us, you may do so. We are on Twitter at SustainOSS. Please follow us. We are on Discourse at discourse.sustainoss.org. Please come and talk on our Discourse. We have an email podcast at sustainoss.org, which goes to all of the hosts, not just me and Justin, but everyone else who sometimes hosts this podcast. If you have any thoughts, questions, queries, concerns, complaints, or suggestions for other guests, please send us a line. Also, if you're listening, please like us on Apple and Spotify. It actually does help with our listenership. Right now, we see around 200 people download these podcasts per episode, which is pretty cool. They're all pretty cool people. But why not get that to 10,000? Well, probably because it's not that relevant to 10,000 people. But hey, we could try. So go ahead, like (laughs) us there and share where you can. Thank you so much. And of course, follow Anna on Twitter. Join the to-do group as an associate if you're not there yet. Talk about it with your managers. And Ana Jimenez, thank you. Keep singing awesome Japanese songs and continuing to go out there and help out Ospos in the world. Muchas gracias. Thank you so much. Thanks, Anna. 